Bet365 sponsors Handbrake Off and they feature over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything you need to bet on sport. Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets including first, last or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. With a Bet365 bet builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch the games live, with Bet365's match live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. The only way to score is, of course, to play... uh is a handbrake off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone. This is the Handbrake Off podcast brought to you by The Athletic. We have an unchanged team for you from last week. Uh, Amy Lawrence and Hello. Lee Dixon are with us. Hello, guys. Morning. Hello. Morning. Amy is with Puppy. <laughs> but he's asleep at the moment. Yes, there may be some Good. squeaks in a while, but uh, nothing unusual. <laughs> All right, all right. Uh, Lee, your dog sounds dangerous, I've got to be honest, Lee. Uh, when I hear it, I think, oh my God, that sounds enormous. No, Is it just, safely sort of does... chained or something? No, he just doesn't like Amazon delivery men. And in this time of lockdown and what have you, they're, they're everywhere. So they he's are. Taking the, they are. And there, there, are, there are other parcel companies uh, available, but they seem to be the one that knocks on the door most. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's picked a bad time, really, to be perfectly fair. Um, We will have a brief chat about last night's game. But because we had a sort of goal poacher's goal from our number nine last night, Eddie Nketiah, we thought we'd talk about number nines. Uh, Amy's also written a piece about Alexander Lacazette, which we'll get to at some point. Uh, So our theme, our vague theme, if you like, for the pod uh, is a number nine. So we thought we'd start by asking uh, everyone, I say everyone, Lee and Amy, uh, who their favourite <laughs> number nines are or were uh, who played uh, played for the Arsenal. Lee, we'll start with you. Favourite number Alan nine. Alan Smith. Yeah. <laughs> Can't believe you said that as well. well. I mean, it's interesting enough, and I'd like to talk about that, but why... Was it because of the availability? I mean, we all, we all remember the past in the 89 game when, you know, you you uh, you hit hoofed. I was going to say hoofed it forward, but you didn't. You yeah, pinged a 60-yard pass in his general direction because you knew he was going to come and show for you, right? Yeah, and I think the it's a really good word. And, it's you know, I haven't said that for a while, that you've picked a good word out to <laughs> to describe something. But the, 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 the availability of him was... From a defender's point of view, who's trying to find um, a front man, there was, in my book, there was nobody better than him because he had, you know, he was quick. He wasn't lightning quick, but he would take take a ball over the top, you know. So he, you always had that option if you couldn't find anybody to feet. He would he would run a channel. Um, he, he's primarily he primarily was a target man in that respect, but he would go the other way. So he would come and his touch. I mean, Stoney, I don't, I don't, I don't think I've played with um, a centre forward. And bearing in mind, there's been a few good ones knocking about. I mean, I know we're specifically talking about number nines, but Dennis Burkamp's touch springs to mind like it always does. <laughs> but Smudge's 
you could hit a ball to smudge anywhere, you know, chest, you could overhit it. He made lots of my really poor balls into good ones. And, uh, and that was because his sublime touch um, on any part of his body, he'd bring it down on his chest. He was great in the air. You know, he was aggressive and yet you didn't know he was aggressive when you played against him because he looked like just, you know, he, you know, with, without being too unkind to him, he looked like an insurance man who'd just put a kit on and he wandered onto the pitch. And you and you kind of go, I think the centre-halves kind of looked at him and go, well, he's not going to be any trouble today. And he was he was yeah. really difficult to play against. He was, you know, he was tall, he was bony, he got elbows. He, he, you know, in training, he always kind of, you always got a knock off him. Um, and uh, my dad paid him one of the biggest tributes from my point of view, when I heard him describe him to someone and said, or he asked the question, and he and he didn't ask it to me. I think if he asked it maybe to one of the other players when he in the players' lounge, where he said, "Is Alan Smith right or left-footed?" And there's very few players, you know, throughout your career, you go, yeah. you go along with and play with, where you go, can't quite work out whether he's right or left-footed. He was so good with both feet, and and, and really intelligent footballer, and a, and a brilliant. Teammate, really lovely guy. Still friends with him now. Um, unassuming, humble, and a goal scorer. Simple as that. Just the perfect insurance salesman, really, with goals. <laughs> uh, I mean, Amy, I want to talk about uh, one of the aspects that uh, that Lee brought up um, about the the sort of selfless nature of it uh, in a short while, because I know that in the piece you've written about Alexander Lacazette, you talk quite a lot about that. But before we get to that, fave number nine at the club. Um, I mean, resisting the temptation to say Park Chu Young, which was <laughs> <laughs> in a quite Park substantial bench. list. Possibly the oddest uh, uh, number nine weird exhibit of our times. Um, mm. You know, the famous story that he was about to sign for Lille and got prized away from the hotel room mid-medical to escape to sign for Arsenal and then played one Premier League game in three years and disappeared. Really an odd one. Um, however, uh, it's, such a, it's such a peculiar thing because growing up, the, the Arsenal number nine, I know it's not necessarily got the connotations of certain clubs who revere that number, particularly Newcastle being sort of an obvious example, but uh, Arsenal number nines were for a long, long time. It was like baton passed on very proudly and they were invariably pretty great players. And we're going back to John Radford in the double year of 71. Um, Malcolm MacDonald was a, a, a fairly iconic player of that stature. And then, as Lee said, Smudge, who I'd probably agree would be my favourite number nine as well. I mean, I think if you're a manager to have a player like Alan Smith, who was so utterly mm. dependable and reliable. I mean, his performances, I can't remember very, almost ever slipping much below an eight out of ten um, yeah. in terms of just always delivering for the team. And he was twice a golden boot winner, you know. Yeah. And until Thierry mm. Henry came along, it wasn't like Arsenal had the top goal scorer you know, every other season. So, uh, plus the game uh, in Parma, where of course. I still revere winning a European trophy of any description as a, a great highlight of um, all the years watching Arsenal. It was a magical, magical night. And it, the, the plan worked to perfection and the plan needed the back four to be the back four. It needed the midfield to just work like hell and it needed a moment of striking sort of cleverness and magic from Alan Smith. Um, so, 
yep, he would be um, someone that, that set, a, set a standard that it wasn't that long after that it was very, very hard to have consistent number nines of that calibre. Um, you know, you can, you can take a list of some sort of horrors. Lucas Perez didn't work out very well. Julio Baptista, of course, Francis Jeffers, the fox in the box. Maybe my favourite other number nine would be Nicholas Anelka. Yeah. Um, because when he came into the team, he brought something we hadn't really seen the like of and was instrumental in that first double of, of Arsene Wenger's and the, the changes that were going on at the club at the time. So he'd be number two pick behind Smudge. You've essentially mentioned all the other number nines <laughs> that we've had. <laughs> but one of the ones you did mention, and when I was growing up, I remember going to see Arsenal play Newcastle in a night game in um, December and we'd signed Malcolm McDonald and he got a hat-trick. Um, I mean, not a, a, a very different typical number nine, if you like. Um, I mean, I, well, I think barrel-chested was actually created uh, for Malcolm <laughs> McDonald, as far as I could tell. But also... I mean, I'm not. I don't think he was particularly selfless. I think he was quite greedy. I think it was really a lot about him, but mm. it felt like a big moment when Arsenal signed Malcolm McDonald, Super Mac, as he obviously was known on Tyneside. And it was a. a and I remember watching him scoring that hat trick. It's one of my big memories of going to that game, a five-three win over Newcastle in you know, a freezing cold Highbury. And he looked every inch the sort of guy uh, that we needed. It didn't quite work out. Um, but I, I just think there was a certain iconic status. But I have to agree with the two of you about Alan Smith and about the work he did for the team. Um, I mean, the reason we're talking about this is because um, uh, we did play like a game last night. We're recording this uh, on Thursday morning, the day after our triumphant win over Leicester Reserves. At, uh, at I was going to say Filbert <laughs> Street then, but it's not Filbert Street. It's the King Power. Um, uh, at the King Power last night, uh, seven changes into the team. One of the main points, Amy, now you watch this game on the stream, um, Eddie Nketiah uh, scored what I guess we can consider a poacher's goal last night. I read a great stat about him. His last six goals, uh, his total yardage for scoring those goals is 29 yards, right? It's less than five yards per goal, uh, the distance from the goal. Um, he's got a lot more about his game than that, but he is a poacher, isn't he? I think that was the thing when he was coming through that everybody always talked about him. It was like, give him a chance of finish, give him a chance of finish. And in terms of pure finishing, there's never been any questions about Eddie. I think the questions always have been how you fit a player of his profile into sort of modern football. And I often used to think about Jermaine Defoe sometimes as one of these guys who seemed to be playing in the wrong era. Like, if he could have played with a big man next to him in an old-fashioned front too, yeah. I wonder how different his career would have been. And I look at Eddie a bit similarly. I don't know if that's fair or unfair. He's still very young and he's got development ahead, uh, fingers crossed. But the way that Arsenal currently play, or certainly have been playing for quite, quite a number of seasons now, is essentially with a, a, a main central striker doing a lot of hard yards having to often be double marked by you know some pretty heavy big enormous physical opponents trying to find space where space isn't very easily available not having that many players really close to you to combine with um with the two other uh, forwards 
often being drawn quite wide. So, and the midfielders quite often being deep. So it's quite a tough position for uh, a predator who relies on service because you're asking Eddie to do a lot of things that maybe are not his strengths. Um, however, when you look at his strength, which is sticking the ball in the back of the net, he's got it. No, I think ultimately, you, you know, there is different styles of playing. There is different players that you can fit into the same system, even that you know, because he's not um, perhaps, um, you know, a, a, a typical hold-up centre forward in the middle of the park. You, you, you can still play in similar systems, but you just get different things out of him. And ultimately, he'll always be all centre forwards will always be judged unless you, for me, knows kind of like a one-off for me in Liverpool, the way he plays and the way Liverpool play. You know, he's not he's not a goal scorer in that respect, but he links everybody else up and enables Salah and Mane to, to, to be the ones that get the goals. But I think with Eddie, he's, you know, if you listen to Ian Wright talking about him, I think Ian sees an awful lot of himself in Eddie and, and, and sees those little opportunities that, for, you know, last night's is a case in point. You know, the, the, the position he's in, you know, righty always used to say, I'm, I ain't going out there, I'm staying in front of the goal because that's where you score goals from. And I think, you know, he, yeah. you, you couldn't get Ian to run into a channel unless you forced him, you know, you'd purposely <laughs> kick the ball further away from him than it than it needed to be just so you get him to move out the middle of the pitch now and again. I used to, I used to if, I, if I ate a ball down the line, he'd, he'd go for it because he, he wants to try and get the ball and beat everybody and score a goal. But... Something then once once the move fall down, right, he would look back at me and go, "What sort of ball's that? Why are you kicking it over there? Kick it in the middle of the goal, and then I'll get, and then I'll score." It's like, okay, well, the pitch is quite big. You have to move people around. He's not interested in that. All he wants to do is make the run in front of the defender and get a little tap in at the near post. So, I think he sees a lot of Eddie in there. So that's why you'll hear right he talking about him in very favourable terms in that respect. So. I think ultimately you you learn as Amy said you learn the other parts of your game. That seems a natural thing for him to be in the right place, and that you can't teach that. You can suggest that you might make this run or that, but the instinctiveness of goal scorers that I put him in the bracket of is is almost they work out themselves, and then you teach him the other bits of of the game. You know when maybe to to go into different areas of the pitch, but then. They'll always go back to that six-yard box in front of the two-posts position. Yeah, but Lee, you're talking about them like they're a sort of a, almost a separate species. But as as we've been saying in the last few minutes, the the the, the sort of role of centre forward has changed. And I was thinking about Olivier Giroud, who uh, won the World Cup with France without having a single shot on goal or scoring a goal through the whole tournament. And yet he worked as as a pivot for the team, if you like, that everything bounced off him and he and he allowed players to uh bring other players in. Do you not think there's depending on your on your personnel, there there's a, an argument for playing that way. I mean it certainly worked for France. Yeah, but not with not with uh Eddie and Ketia, because you, you you know it's horses for courses, it's it's certain body shapes, it's certain um attributes that you need to play in, in different ways and the, the way Fran and as I said, I go back to Liverpool, you know, the way they play and that link up play around the ten area is so key to them in order to get the ball 
wide in at the right time in order for their fullbacks to go past their wide players and the wide players to come in, and and you need that fulcrum to to knit all that together. Um, but you know, Arsenal don't play like that, and so I don't, I don't think you know if you you could put and that's probably you know if you put Giroud in the Arsenal team now, then you know he, he wouldn't get a kick. You know, he wouldn't be, he wouldn't get a goal, he wouldn't get a kick. Um, a bit like when he was playing for France, but that, yeah, that you know, that so I think the, the way Arteta wants to play and the way that we see the team, um, being sort of evolving in, around his style is, I think, somebody like him. You always need a goal score, you know, you've got to get goals from somewhere, whether they are the wide players, Mane, Salah, or it is, um, your central striker because you play in a different way and your wingers are playing having different roles someone's got to put the ball in the net and if you've got someone who's naturally good at it which he is then you've got half a chance of saying do you know what let's let's keep that the main point and I wouldn't say that Olivier Giroud you know he's got lots of qualities but he's certainly not he's certainly not a, a poacher goal scorer like those guys are our podcast is brought to you in association with Hims. If you haven't heard of them, they're basically your best mate when it comes to those tricky men's health problems. Balding is an awkward topic for men, yet a lot of us start to lose our hair before we hit 40. And the best way to take control of hair loss is to do something about it while you still have some. Hims was created to make it easier for guys to seek care, especially guys who avoid seeing their doctor in person for awkward health issues. Not everyone wants to have personal conversations face-to-face with a stranger in a white coat. So Hims connects you to real doctors online, which could save you hours. It's completely confidential and discreet. You'll get a proper consultation. They'll give you sound advice on what you can do to help your hair before it's too late. It couldn't be easier to book your free consultation. Just go to forhims.co.uk forward slash athletic. That's F-O-R-Hims .co.uk forward slash athletic. We're talking about Eddie and Ketia, Amy, uh, but you also wrote a piece about Alexandra Lacazette, who has been doing this sort of selfless work uh, for the last, uh, well, since um, since Mikel Arteta uh, arrived. Um, he's he's sort of, sort of doing a little bit like um, like Bobby Firmino, isn't he, at, uh, at uh, Liverpool? He's coming short, he's taking the knocks, he's doing little flicks and he's bringing in the wide players and the midfielders. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I, I just noticed from uh, pieces I write and interactions and uh, social media and feedback that you get that I don't think Lacazette is massively popular or appreciated compared to some. I think a lot of the work he does um, serves the team, but is not glamorous. Uh, And there is still, as Lee was saying before, you know, you play number nine, people want to see your goals scored column in healthy state. Uh, And perceptions of him, I think, were definitely clouded. He suffered last year. He had a big confidence crisis uh, under Unai Emery. we all did well, that, think, didn't we? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. He was not alone there, but he, he, he really, his form really sort of fell off a cliff and he just looked like nothing was going to go for him for weeks and weeks. And I spoke to a, uh, a journalist who specialises in Lyon and he said that in all the years of watching Lacazette, he just couldn't remember him ever having such a difficult period. So sometimes those things could be taken into account. But like a lot of players under Arteta, he's had a new lease of life. Uh, I just thought it was interesting that obviously 
a huge amount has been made of uh, Aubameyang's new contract and Lacazette, his, uh, his buddy, is in a not totally dissimilar situation. Um, he's, a year, he's a year behind he, though, isn't he's, he? He's got two years to go, but of course, famously, uh, uh, Real Sanyehi and uh, you know, the very early pronouncements of, of running the ship at Arsenal said, we're just not going to let people get to two years anymore. It doesn't make economic sense. Yeah. It's, it's mad in football business. You deal with it, then you sell or you sign. Um, so in theory, that should be a, this should be a moment where they're kind of having a look at someone like Lacazette and thinking at 29 years old, there is still some resale value if that's the road you go down or you possibly protect your asset by offering an extension. And uh, Mikel Arteta was asked about it and was, I was a bit surprised. It was sort of very like, well, you know, um, Nothing much is going on. Haven't started any negotiations. He's a player I value, yeah. but yeah, this is not a priority at the moment, which is fine because it doesn't have to be two years. It could be 18 months or a year that they deal with it. But sooner or later, you, you either, you know, you don't really want to get into a situation where you're letting a 30 year old's contract run out uh, and then they go for nothing when they still have some form of value. We're seeing how hard it is to sell any players at the moment. Um, Quite. So it's an interesting, it's part of the conundrum and it makes me wonder how much Arteta, in the way that Arsenal are currently playing, is making the best of what he's got. But in reality, in his sort of dream scenario, he'd be playing different types of systems or different types of players. But he can only pick a team from the squad he has at the moment. Um, and at the moment, Lacazette playing centre forward and doing all this legwork is pretty imperative. It is. And Lee, do you think... That I mean, are there occasions when when players will appreciate what other players do much more than uh, the fans would? And I'm, I'm talking about a, a Lacazette, but I'm sure there's been plenty of uh, of occasions down the uh, down the line when that's happened. Yeah, and I think uh, you know, go back to Firmino again. If you if you go around the Liverpool players and, and ask them one of the, who's their you know favourite player to play with in the in the last third of the pitch or from midfield onwards, they'd probably pick him because he. You know his his ability to be able to give you the ball back in that position when you play a ball into him, he invariably um, does something with it. He doesn't give the ball away. He's always he's always around the areas you need him, and and that's staying pretty central, dropping deep, and and from any anywhere on the pitch you can kind of find out where he is. So you can hit him from the back. Midfield players find him because he drops into those little pockets. Um, and, he know, and, you, and you know you've got the wide players with the two full-backs, etc. So there's always room for somebody who like Lacazette who is available at all times. And I think the players, as you quite rightly said, sometimes that goes, goes you know, missing a little bit from, from watching from the sidelines. And also, as Amy said, you've got a number... You know, you've got number nine on your back or whatever. People go, how many goals do you get? How many goals? I'm pretty sure... Nobody at Liverpool goes. Firmino doesn't get as many as those two in the wide areas. They don't care because it's a team thing. I'm sure they'd like to score more goals, but I think he knows the value to to Liverpool. And I'm pretty sure Lacazette um, knows his value within the dressing room. He's, he seems like he's a he's a well liked player in the dressing room. And and going back to his contract, I think there's there's definitely a tipping point where and we've seen it before where players don't really think about moving when they've got a certain amount of time left on the contract. And then as it gets wears down, they, there's a point where they kind of go, 
Well, why haven't the club offered me a new contract? Or why aren't we talking about that? And that's the that's the kind of grey area where the club and the player have to get it right. And 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 then you because the club leave it too long, they can they can almost force a player to be a little bit rest, restless and go. Well, hang on a minute. Do you start valuing your own worth in the team? If if you get to a point where you're two years, maybe two and a bit years away, and the club come to you and go, we want to sign you, we want a new a new deal on the table for you. Let's start talking. You go, you don't know, you puff your chest up, you go, wow, they want me, and you feel well, you feel really secure in your own value to the team, and the, and there's no doubt there is a tipping point, and for the player as well. To, to um, sorry, from the club. Club's point of view as well. They want to protect their asset, but there's, it's it's a really delicate situation, and we've seen before how many times the the club have got it wrong and left it too late, and the players kind of gone. Do you know what? There's no value in me signing anything now. I might as well wait. I mean, I guess Amy, it's just a, it's it, in terms of Enketia and Lacazette, it's just that at some point Enketia will become the main man, won't he? If he if his development uh, continues as it looks like it does, as it looks like it is, and and uh, Alexander Lacazette have been moved on. I guess I guess the skill in the management is trying to work out exactly the right time to do that. Who knows? I mean, who can predict, you know, what uh, what targets Mikel Arteta might have in a, another year's time? It might be neither of them that he wants to. He's talk, he talked yesterday about evolving. His team is evolving. He wants to evolve better. You know, he's got big ideas and... We'll see who who's, who becomes central to those evolutionary ideas. I mean, there was also the thing about uh, it's also about who plays in the. Uh, I was going to say supplementary role, but you can't really say that Abayang is playing in a supplementary role at the moment. But um, you know, we've also got Pepe and Reese Nelson as well, and I guess they would benefit from the sort of work that uh, Lacazette and Anketia will be doing, Lee. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think Amy's right with saying who knows what the what the plans of Arteta are, and he might he quite rightly might look at the the attacking uh, force that we've got and go right, okay, Abamyang's uh, signed. Where do we, one of two things needs to happen? We need to Lacazette needs to to sign a new contract moving forward and be be happy with the fact that he might not play all the time, etc. Which Sometimes when you get to a certain age, you think, do you know what? I haven't got that long left. I want to go and play somewhere. But also, uh, Inketian needs to get better and be 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 the the person or the player everybody expects him to be. And if that development is arrested a little bit for whatever reason, then you go right. No, move him on because we if his plans are so big for the club to go to the next level, which is top four, and the next level of that is challenging for the league in a short space of time. It's going to take time, but the players have to go they 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 have to grow and get better matching his expectations and his and his desires for the team and if they don't out you go you're not good enough gone that's how it has to be and and when you start making compromises and going waiting for for the players to match your expectations as a manager the team's done and you, the, the always has to be a pushing from the manager going, this is where I want the team to be. I'll give it a certain amount of time. If we don't get there, you're gone. Someone else is in. That's how it has to be. That's the only way you go and start challenging from the top. It's exactly what Klopp did. That's This is my vision. These players have to match my vision. I need a goalkeeper. I need a best centre-half in the world. They went out and bought them. They won the league. Simple. <laughs> 
Handbrake Off is brought to you by Manscaped, the expert in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. You wouldn't want anything which wasn't precision-engineered, would you? And Manscaped has just launched in the UK. We've gone years without using the right tools for the job. So you can be one of the first men in the country to experience Manscaped's life-changing products. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents, and the water-resistant technology also allows you to groom whilst in the shower. And we've got a special offer for you right now for all of you listening to this podcast. Get 20% off and free shipping by using the code EPL20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using the code EPL20. Happy shaving. Like, do you know what? When Lee just went out, you go then. I just imagined his fists just coming down hard on the desk. And there was no, <laughs> Brooke, no argument, did it? That, to, to be honest, <laughs> this is the Handbrake Off podcast brought to you by, by The Athletic. Ian Stone here with Amy Lawrence and Lee Dixon. Uh, Amy, uh, oh my God, this is our, our bit that we have to do. <laughs> You've written a piece about Mesut Ozil, right? Who, uh, if anyone doesn't know, uh, Mesut Ozil didn't even make the squad for the Carabao Cup. Uh, he is, uh, that's how far he's fallen. And I sense the sadness in the writing, Amy. I, I really do. And, and I, this is not me mocking. I genuinely felt that. But it's such a shame that a player so. of that could, talent... Could have been interpreted that way. <laughs> yeah, no, I understand. No, sense you know of sadness Maybe in there my was eyes. a tiny bit... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but there was a certain, you know, a player of that talent, that prodigious talent, to have fallen so far, and and that and that was that was partly what the piece was about. Yeah, I mean, I know some people are bored of it, and I totally respect that view. But I do find it a kind of a, a very extraordinary thing. I think perhaps be one of those things where you look back in future and you're not in it and sick of it, where you think, what was that, you know? I still sometimes think about uh, the kind of peak vintage uh, when Ozil and Alexis Sanchez were in tandem together with Cazorla in behind, and that year that Arsenal maybe should have won the league and, and, and Leicester won it. And there were moments where the, the calibre of football was really beautiful uh, and effective. and it felt like that great player that everyone was excited Arsenal had signed on deadline day all those years ago from Real Madrid. Um, it, it felt like something was really happening, but the kind of this really sort of slow death decline is quite, I think it's quite tragic because for whoever's to, to blame, and it's probably loads of people, um, it's just reached that point where it's the end of the affair, the end of the, relationship and everyone's still living under the same roof and it's pretty mm. grim and you could see almost in the press conference after the game I mean Arsenal just won 2-0 away from home against a team that finished above them last year in the league using five academy graduates didn't concede a goal there was a lot it wasn't a kind of thrilling game but there was a lot to tick off and say well that's all good yes and after about 10 seconds of the press conference, a kind of half question about the match, uh, it was just, uh, uh, you know, going into Ozil land. And 
all the uh, journalists who asked questions were almost apologetic because you could just sort of see this like, I'm really sorry, but we have to talk about this. <laughs> and clearly, Mikel yeah. Arteta does not want to talk about Mesut Ozil at all. Um, it, it's part of his job that he's going to face questions he doesn't like. But, he, you know, looking at his facial expression and listening the way that he straight-batted things, the, the way that he tended to talk very, very generally and not about an individual um, and try to avoid the subject as much as possible and just talk about growing the team and who deserves to play. Yeah, there's a lot of reading between the lines, but you can see that they're really at the end of the road here. And yet here we are, the weeks will go by, the months will go by until the end of the season where I guess we'll probably talk about it again <laughs> if there is actually a final ending to this situation. But yeah, I'm saddened by it because I just... It feels like uh, everything is stuck and it's a shame because surely a, a talented footballer would prefer to play football and be respected and enjoy their work and surely a team would be um, more more focused where everybody's pulling in the same direction and you don't have problems. But I guess Lee will put me in my place and say every team more or less has problems of different <laughs> times affecting different players you know, all all the time. So it's just, it is what it is, but it's sad. Well, Lee, I mean, this is the point, I I, I guess, the point that Amy is making. I mean, uh, were you ever in a situation, you didn't, have, you didn't have anyone on 350 grand a week when you were playing, I know that, no. but um, no. were you in a situation where there was someone who was not ostracised because he's still training, but in the end, he's just not part of the manager's plans? No, but I think I think you know, and and the three hundred and fifty grand a week is is poignant because it's um, it's a huge figure and it's just the status um, of where players are now um, and where they almost priced themselves out of uh, any resolution in all of this. I remember when you know, not long after eighty nine, you know, when Michael Thomas's contract was being negotiated or not negotiated, and the, and the power was always with the club and and George and and what went on with with Michael with in training and training on his own he, you know he wouldn't sign the contract and there was a, a dispute on money and and George just you know he'd come in do the warm up and then George would send him to the other pitch with a bag of balls and let him train on his own and we and it was that was being ostracized because we could actually see it happening and it was like Michael on a pitch kicking a ball around on his own and us training and it was like God this is really weird. But the, the guy who pa- scored the guy yeah. who scored the winning goal in eighty nine or the second Absolutely. goal in eighty nine. Yeah, and he was and it was it was horrible to see, but it and it was kind of funny as well because it was like <laughs> Michael you know, there he is with a ball running from the eighteen yard line up to the goal, turning round, putting it in the goal running back, he'd do that for an hour. And then when we went in, he'd come in. It was like, but he was allowed, you know, he'd do do some of the warm-up with us. I mean, and it was just like, but the power was with George and the club. And and so ultimately, you know, he was almost not, he, he was almost not part of the, the team. And in the end, he moved. But the fact that, you know, Ozil's in a position where he's on 350 grand a week and almost saying to the club, well, you know, I'm whatever. I'll just stay here and I'll earn my money and you know and I don't know the ins and outs of it um, personally and and, the, and and all the real detail to it but it's pretty obvious what's going on and gone on and to the point where the now now the manager 
and the club are in a position where this this player, the, the sadness of it is absolutely there, and, and Amy's right to you know the way and you to read in between the lines the sadness because it is sad. He's a hugely talented footballer, yeah, and yeah. one of the most talented footballers we've had on the books. There's no doubt about that. And some of the sublime beauty we've seen from his from his feet and his interplay has been wow, you know, breathtaking. That's the sadness of it that that he can't get to a point where he just you know he he wants to play football and and that's the most important thing and and ultimately that's not the most important thing so that's why he's where he's at. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. There's also a piece on the Athletic website which you can have a look at. Um, uh, it's from uh, Tifo, uh, who's combined with the Athletic, um, and they're, they're basically it's called the state of the club. And I think they're going to go through the various clubs. And uh, obviously, they've started with Arsenal, um, befitting mm-hmm. our status, I think. Um, and um, <laughs> perhaps it's, it's perhaps it's alphabetical. I don't know. And the first line in this piece is, "What is Mikel Arteta's Arsenal?" Now, Lee. Uh, I'm going to come to you first because I know we've talked about this. I've sat in this same spot listening to you talking about what sort of club we are. Um, and, you know, we're not we're not necessarily in the big spending league like some of the other no. clubs, but we do seem to be progressing quite nicely. Do you think it's important for a club to have an identity moving forward before they can really make progress? Yeah, I mean, I've always been a big traditionalist. I've always been... Uh, and that. That has been from the first day that I signed for the club. I, I was at some really big football clubs in comparison in, uh, out of the first division with Stoke City or a big club. Burnley were a big old traditional club. you know. So I've been at them places that there's been tradition sort of ingrained in your everyday um, everyday business. You, the, the, the actual traditions of the club are there. You, the, you can almost smell the history when you walk in the places. But... When I signed for Arsenal, it was like none of that existed. And I'm not being, uh, you know, no disrespect to those other clubs. It was like, wow, this is even, this, this is even bigger than, I. yeah, it's yeah. different. There's something, the Arsenal, all of that sort of stuff. I, I threw myself into all of that. And I was like, that was so proud to have that as part of my, you know, my badge on my chest and my shirt. It, it really meant something. And I genuinely think that throughout the years that, that everybody has been there um, has tried to to uphold those traditions. And then over a period of time, they start to be diluted. And that's, um, I don't know whether that's just an organic thing that happens to all football clubs because they're getting into the new modern era and things start to, to, to dissipate a little bit. But Arsene went to great uh, levels to try and keep those traditions. And I think it's really important that the players... Um, have to do that themselves because there the, the, there is a case where the introduction of foreign players do, does dilute that. That's not a that's an observation. It's not a criticism, um, but it's important that the the players take on that. And I think where the club got to, it was almost lost. And I and I do believe that that now the identity of the club is starting. There's the, the making inroads into keeping or going back to those days. And I think the, you know, the, the team manager status of the, of, of Arteta now is, yes. is part of that. And I, and I welcome that. I think that's, yeah, great. Let him become a, a, a George Graham type figure 
in that respect and it and and try and hold on to to some of those and it made me it did me make me laugh uh, the other day when I watched when I I did the Arsenal game and uh, the players ran out on the pitch and um and I was looking round at the player and I, I looked at uh, I looked at Bellerin and he got his shirt tucked in and I was like I look he looked really weird he's got his short <laughs> tucked into his white shorts everyone else with the modern shirts just sort of hang down and they're not and I went, well played, well played, Bellerin. He almost became my <laughs> new best player because he tucked his shirt in. And I don't know whether he'd done it. I've never seen him do it before, so I, it was it was new to me that he had his shirt tucked in. I thought, yes, get all your shirts tucked in. He actually looked the odd one out, which is you know sad in in some ways. But and I thought, you know, maybe two or three of them will have the shirts tucked in next time, and it all those traditions will come back. So that is all part of the identity, regardless of how you're playing as well. But I think that the the way that the team is playing and developing now, long way to go. But they they're almost. I almost starting to to like what I'm seeing again, and I and I haven't liked a, a, a lot of it in the past, to be honest with you. Recently, Lee, what about those those, those short 1980s shorts? Are you advocating <laughs> a return to? I'd like oh. to take the fifth on that one. I don't want to comment. <laughs> <laughs> I think Kieran Tierney is the trendsetter on the tucking the shirt in vibe. It's one of his um, specialities. Yeah, he does it no, all the time. I, so he's, yeah, he's, he's I think started that's what, something uh, and Hector's taken it on. So it's slowly yeah, good. spreading that's through two the of them. That's two of them. And <laughs> noticeably, both fullbacks. Well played. Fullbacks, it starts you with the fullbacks. Like the discipline starts with the fullbacks. I mean, Amy, this piece, and there's, there's a lot of it. There's like an hour of technical analysis, looking at the boardroom, all sorts of stuff. And I know you got quite heavily involved in some of this, but it all starts with the manager, doesn't it? The manager sets the vision and the tone, and then everyone else follows him. Yeah, I guess it's interesting that we're talking again. I mean, the cult of the manager, I think, has been a big thing in football for quite a while. Um, you know, do you think it is a cult? When Lee was I mean, talk- do you think? Well, I think I think I think we all put so much on the manager, as uh, as supporters, as pundits, uh, and I'm sure probably within clubs as well. There is always a sense. Um, I remember. Um, when I very, very first started out in, uh, in, in writing about football in the mid-90s and I went to go and see the then manager of Mansfield and got to spend the day with him um, sitting in the dugout, uh, which was you know, quite enlightening. And he turned around and said, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, one minute I'm a, t- uh, I'm a tactical genius, the next I'm a fucking idiot. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Why, Mrs Lawrence? <laughs> that... <laughs> That stuck with me, though. And, and <laughs> he was very aware of the fact that everybody looks to the manager and, you know, it, quite quickly things can radically go in one direction or another. I mean, we're sitting here right now today and Arsenal are on a winning streak that carries over from the end of last season gloriously with the FA Cup and into the start of this season. And there's a very nice little habit. Not all of the football has been fabulous, but it's win, 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 win. You know, there's something like six wins in, on the spin. Um, but it, everybody's looking, when you look on Twitter at the moment, everyone's doing that, predict the next five games for Arsenal. How many points do you think they're going to get? And in the corresponding fixtures last season, I think Arsenal got three points out of 15. Um, so there's a tricky period coming up. And yes, Arteta has instigated a lot of change, thankfully, and a lot of optimism, thankfully. But 
I think it's going to be really fascinating to talk again in five or six games' time. See where Arsenal is because it's very easy. You to sound like and... you sound like me, Amy. I was going to say <laughs> <laughs> this You've week, Amy and me. me have swapped roles. <laughs> they have, but you got um, all happy last hey, week. No, no, that's great. That's great. We need a we need a little bit of calm down. It's only three games in. But uh, it, it right now it, uh, it's looking quite good. Now, uh, by the way, uh, I should say for a limited time only, uh, we're offering the chance to subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month. You can read all of Amy James and David Ornstein's great writing on Arsenal and so much more, including Amy's recent article on Lacazette where she discusses his hopes for a new contract. Uh, just go to theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod to sign up. That's theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod and subscribe for just one pound a month. Uh, before we go, we need a song. Uh, do we have Lee? Can I come to you first or should I go to Amy first? Yeah, no, definitely come to me second, obviously. Well, I thought Lee said last week it was always bat out of hell, so I'm assuming it's going to be that again from Lee. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to stick to my uh, Lee Dixon impression of sort of bringing the tone down with the touch of reality. You know, things are going well, but what's coming in front of us, who knows? Uh, uh, the Tame Impala song, Borderline. Yeah. It's a great song. See. like the tune and I like the uh, the tone of what you're saying. I found a song, by the way, because uh, we're talking about uh, number nines doing a lot of work and not getting a lot of thanks for it. I found a song by The Strokes called Selfless. Uh, I don't know what it sounds mm. like, uh, but uh, <laughs> I, I think it describes particularly what uh, particularly what Alexander Lacazette has been doing uh, the last few months. Um, we're done. Thank you for listening to Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Thank you, Lee. Thank you, Amy. Also, thanks to Tyo, our producer. Uh, I'm Ian Stone. Thanks for listening, and we'll speak to you next week. Mm-hmm.